Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Australia podcast, where we will be bringing together the best technical leaders from across the industry to discuss passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Lewis Burks, and I connect businesses with talented contractors in the project services market, and I will be your host today. Welcome to the latest episode of the Evolution Exchange Australia podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across Australia to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Lewis Burks, and I connect businesses with talented contractors in the project services market. Today, I'm joined by Katrina Colt, Peter Lee, and Peter Adolphus to discuss effective agile practices as a leader. Before we dive into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Uh, Katrina, do you want to kick us off? Thanks, Lewis. Yes, I'm Katrina Colt. I'm currently working for Coles, and my role there is as Agile Capability Lead. And uh, it's absolutely terrific. It's a real opportunity to look across the organisation with a focus on technology to support uplift in Agile ways of working and enablement of uh, change across the whole system. Fantastic. Thank you, Katrina. Uh, Peter Lee, for the avoidance of confusion with two Peters on this episode. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so Peter Lee... I am currently uh, an enterprise agile coach at SiteMinder, uh, but I actually also do two other things. I run my own startup and I actually also do short-term consulting around agile and, and kind of good practices that we should adopt in terms of the governance space. I've uh, been in the agile space for quite a while now, so um, started coaching when the term was only just uh, eventuating. So yeah, I've been... Um, before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, before it was cool. And uh, yeah, before, you know, there was um, that much interest in Agile coaching. So. No, perfect. Thank you. And uh, Peter, last but not least. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I think I'm one of the new Ben Wagoners uh, that Pete was mentioning. Uh, just started when it was cool. But um, yeah, my name is Peter Adolphus. I'm currently at uh, BOQ Group, uh, which, is, which is quite cool. Um, so yeah, we're going through, you know, quite a bit big transformation journey at the moment so it's it's a really uh, amazing place to work with a, a lot of moving parts but um also i've always just been in finance and insurance type industries uh doing this this agile coaching thing um so that's kind of where my uh, experience and expertise lie perfect thank you guys uh so look appreciate the insight and back background from each of you so uh let, let's dive into the topics um each of you has obviously shared a question topic you're keen to discuss. So I'll kick us off with a question and I'll pass to each of you to provide context on your question and then we'll get some responses from the rest of the group. So I will kick off with Katrina's question. So Katrina, you posed the question to the group of what do we do differently as agile leaders to other leaders? Do you want to provide some context on that question before we pass over to the pieces? Sure, Lewis. And uh, this has been a real passion of mine, observing uh, leaders in different organisations, kind of David Attenborough-like, you know, what what characterises leaders within an agile space that that enable the success of their teams, their crews, their tribes, domains, whatever the, the terminology. So the context for this is really, you know, what is that secret sauce? What do they do differently? And by my observations and a lot of the experimentation I've done and introducing this into different organisations, there's a bunch of things they do differently. The first one is that they understand complexity way better than leaders who, let's just say, don't have that maturity in understanding complexity. And some of the things I'm referring to, I guess, is uh, Snowden's Kinevan model. So really leaders who understand where from which domain they need to make a decision 
Am I making a decision from that's from an obvious domain, for example, where it's as simple as following a set of work instructions? Am I making a decision from a complicated domain where some analysis is required? Or is it a decision that needs to be made from the complex domain where experimentation, uh, we need to pause for some experimentation and understand what the system, how the system's responding, what the system's saying. And most importantly, the experience of COVID has taught us that sometimes we're making decisions from a chaotic domain as leaders where we just need to respond and see what happens because there is no precedent. So this is one of the key characteristics. And when leaders understand that, their decision-making, agile leaders have this in their toolkit as a, as a way of making decisions. And secondly, I guess, leaders who are skilled in the agile space really have, you know, been in the trenches, understand the importance of things like delegation. And they have a much more explicit approach and a much more, uh, I guess, visible approach to, uh, to, to something like delegation, where they try as much as possible to push delegation down to the people who are, who are closest to the work. And perhaps um, the third and final uh, characteristic that I notice is that true agile leaders act more like a coach. They bring a problem to their team. They frame that problem, inviting people, inviting people to really engage with that problem, to bring the wisdom of the crowd. And uh, they, as a leader, they ask the powerful questions to get their, their team or teams or whole domain thinking about how this problem can be solved. And ultimately, they facilitate uh, an evolution of a solution to that problem rather than bringing a solution like, hey, guys, we need to migrate this to cloud and you've got to do it this, this and this way. Uh, a, a really agile leader will be framing, you know, what? how do we perceive the problem now? What's the downside of us not migrating this to cloud or so on and so forth? What would it look like for us if, if we had migrated? What are some of those concerns we need to think about just to to, to source that, that, that rich wisdom and uh, operate on it. And uh, so that's probably the big three that I see. Yeah, great context. Thank you, Katrina. Uh, Peter A, do you want to go first? Do you want to give us your take on the answer to that question? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, I, I resonate with, uh, with everything that Katrina just said as well. I think it's it's definitely important. And I think while you were just talking, Katrina, I, I just, in my head, uh, I love this TV show, and most of the time in my in my small apartment we have one TV. It's more so what my girlfriend's watching, which means I have to watch it as well. But um, I, I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. New Amsterdam, it's about a, a hospital, and um, essentially the whole premise of the show. You have the medical director, and throughout the whole five seasons, it's just him in his scrubs, getting people coffee, food, anything they need, and always asking one question: How can I help? And I think um, I hate harping on the servant leadership, which you alluded to, but it's just so important. And I don't like specifically saying servant leadership because sometimes it does feel a bit of a buzzwordy thing. But in that show, I think it's the definition of servant leadership, uh, helping in any way to unblock and make life easier for the teams in the trenches doing the work, but also being there with them, um, similar to what you said. So going a bit further into that, I think it's not so much about how can we help, but also trusting our teams and the people in them to make the right decision. So um, the decentralizing of the decision-making, the the delegation, exactly what you said, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, they are also the experts. They are the closest people to the system and to our customers. So 
if we empower them to make the decisions or let them be comfortable to make decisions, um, regardless of what the outcome is, it's always the best outcome. I, I definitely do believe that. Um, adding to that as well, uh, not so much exclusive to Agile leaders, but I think with every great Agile leader I've worked with and, and been a part of, uh, something I've learned very uh, with my current leader as well, shout out to my current leader, um, they are really exceptional at rallying people and using influence versus power. Not saying that's exclusive to agile leaders, but it's very important, I think, because most of the time it's not reporting lines that define who we work with, but more so how we work with them on a day-to-day -day basis and, and the things we show them and help them with, etc. So um, I think everyone here knows how hard this, this is in terms of bringing forth agility within an organization, and it takes a lot of time. Um, and as you mentioned, it, it comes from different realms of complexity, especially when you're starting out. I think a lot of hours, I think you need a lot of perseverance because, you know, taking large organizations on this journey, it, it may mean two years of just building a case for change and not really anything tangible, right? No real outcomes, no, no real formation of teams or anything like that. And I know personally, I felt knocked down and dejected sometimes just with trying to get people on board. Um, but I think it's definitely the foundation of of what we do and if we don't set that correctly um i think it all does come humbling down so i think very being very clear on the why um is important and also using our influence to get buy-in on their how so i think the why and the how is something that agile leaders do very well um, and communicate very well as well yeah absolutely love that number of different takes there peter thank you um peter i'll <laughs> come around to you for your opinion on this one as well um yeah, I, you know, everything Katrina and Peter were saying, uh, I do agree with as well. I think, you know, from my perspective, leadership, good leadership is the same, even if it's agile or waterfall. So it's actually those kind of 21st century management leadership practices um, don't differ between good waterfall organizations and good agile organizations. And I think, um, you know, there's really good evidence around transformational leadership practices, which kind of when I see them and they and how they eventuate they eventuate in things like you know David Marquet's leader leader model and all these type of things where we talk about servant leadership etc so um, I think when done well it actually looks semi the same in, in any organization but I think the the key thing which I would often um, talk about is the separation of strategy and leadership so leadership being a social dynamic where actually the job is to build inspiration and motivation to achieve a goal together. And then the strategy side, which is the intellectual problem solving. The, the bit, you know, Katrina was talking about um, actually understanding that there are different problem domains and things like that. And, and strategy has to be hyper contextual. So it can't be, you know, 60% of other organizations do agile so you'll be successful doing agile <laughs> and those type of things i think the, the decision making around well do we really need this for our business and are we making those kind of trade-offs so when a agile leader well when a leader says we're going to be an agile organization to me they're actually making a choice to say we choose to be more adaptable and that then flows through the other kind of decision making and the governance mechanics that have to be in place and the et cetera, et cetera. But it has to kind of start with, do you really want to be an agile organization? Uh, and then, you know, great agile leaders help the organization 
move at the fastest pace they can to get to that space. And I think, you know, the the consciousness is that an organization can only move at the pace it can move. And so being happy with the fact that sometimes it does take two years to even get endorsement to do anything. Uh, and yeah, I think that's kind of a really interesting space when you accept that you don't have complete control over things and actually that leadership component is actually helping people move as fast as they can yeah no i absolutely love that and i can see from uh, i can see from the nods and the smiles from the group that uh, they, they would agree with that as well peter um katrina this this was your topic was there anything else you wanted to kind of add to to round off that that particular kind of subtopic or question Oh, I definitely have to call out what is uh, undoubtedly going to be the um, takeout of the podcast, which is uh, your comment, Peter, that an organisation can only move at the pace that it can move. And uh, that's the thing that really talks to me as a systems thinker, which is uh, which is our patience, the patience required as uh, leaders to really observe what's going on inside of that organisation, what's going on inside of that system and uh, what what could we do to at least make it transparent and to you know to rally folks around some of the problems that need uh, need solving and if that organization decides that it's moving at exactly the right pace there's very little an individual leader can do but together and addressing the other Peter's comment together bringing people together in on that mission is uh is is again a characteristic of all good leaders not just just agile leaders thanks folks yeah no great and there's a couple of things i took away from that as well i think obviously i do not have the expertise in this area that you guys do uh, <laughs> but there's a couple of things you know peter lee you said look good leadership looks like good leadership um, I think it's sometimes it's really easy to get caught up in we want to work this way or we want to do something this way like good leadership at the end of the day doesn't just become bad leadership because it's in a different system um, but I also loved what, what you said Peter Adolphus um, as well around just ask just ask the question what do you need from me like it's such a simple question that any leader uh, you know give, assuming they have made the time to do so can and should be asking people in any industry you know this doesn't just apply to technology it's really easy to think that agile does at times um but i absolutely love that question um so yeah actually i'm gonna go to um i'm gonna go to our second question peter if you want to provide some context around your question which was as agile as agile leaders how do we facilitate alignment and collaboration between agile teams and non-agile departments or functions within our organization do you want to provide some context on that yeah, sure thing. I think this is just rooted in some pain that I see um, throughout my years. It's more so, you know, we we hone in on the fact when we talk about agility and, and agile ways of working to, you know, software delivery teams, um, but then we kind of miss the rest of the org. Um, so, you know, the other functions that are pretty foundational and important for, for what we do um, and what our teams do, we, we kind of glance over that um, at times and don't, you know, dedicate enough attention and, and brave power to understanding how we we work together as a you know as a larger group as a, a bigger body of people so um yeah it was more so just how do we how do we strengthen that collaboration piece um how do we uh, wait how do we establish it and then how do we strengthen it really because sometimes maybe it's not even established as as we we'd like so um yeah that was the premise of the question perfect thank you um peter lee i'll throw it to you first what are, what are your thoughts on this um, 
yeah it's a, it's an interesting question i think uh you know one of one of the things that i always think about is when toyota started doing their lean stuff they did they did always consider looking up and upstream to other suppliers and actually influencing them to become more agile and or lean and the the reasoning was because they couldn't get any more lean unless they actually did that and so i think if we don't do exactly what peter was talking about like involving other teams uh, around the organization we actually create this glass ceiling where we can't ever become more agile so we do definitely need to do it i think whenever i think about it i think about it in terms of do how how much value do other teams get from feedback so you know if a team will get get any benefit from having earlier feedback then an agile iterative development style in their working environment actually makes sense so even if it's not you know they're not saying oh we're going to do scrum or something like that but if they work that a little bit faster than they used to so making you know monthly decisions or two bi-monthly decisions or or something like that and actually looking at how do they get feedback into their system that's probably what i'd be looking at and i guess the other element i think which is pretty um telling for a lot of agile teams is we we focus highly on that people interactions bit, the the bit of you know getting the wisdom of the crowd that katrina had mentioned before and so i think collaborative planning actually starts to become this really key element around how do we plan collaboratively with other non-agile departments so even if uh you know they're running waterfall they're running three month cycles we can still talk about what do they think they're going to be delivering and then where are those opportunities for feedback and adjustment i think one of the things that i've 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 realized um through experience doesn't work is when a non agile team doesn't want any feedback for a year and then you thinking as an agile team we're going to give you feedback every 2 weeks and somehow you're magically going to adjust your plan uh that doesn't work because that team isn't actually looking for the feedback so the first question is would you benefit from feedback and then i guess the other elements of collaborative planning with them um stem from there yeah great i think uh, that's, that's such a good point that goes for all walks of life if people don't want feedback <laughs> and all you want to do is give them feedback i can tell you now there's going to be some friction there uh, <laughs> uh katrina i'll pass over to you i find uh, this one a really fascinating question because look i may be overthinking it but for me the answer to the question relates to how do you introduce large scale change across an organization and it and uh again it might be the lens i'm taking but um i very much traveled on a uh, a people focused journey of change and uh different parts of the organization obviously have different incentives to change or uh will move at different paces so uh I I can empathize with the pain you felt Peter because sometimes it feels like something that's so obvious to you and would optimize that system you know that others just aren't getting it and so if we go back to the to the core question around well what does it take for people to change well in my experience it takes uh you know some uh, authentic conversation starting with surfacing what the current state looks like just to sound out whether others in the organization see what you see 
and uh, to build a coalition of people that might uh, that might see that same problem and empathise with it and see how much better things could be. And even then, even if you have people in that coalition, it's it's still not that easy to then bring people together to to collaborate in some instances. And uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of things around. Well, how do you honour the current way of doing it? rather than project a notion of disrespecting the current way of doing it. You know, how do you honour, uh, you know, why the system has been like it's been for, for all that time, but why there seems to be an inkling of need to change? And then once you honour it, how do you make it easier p- for people to change? I mean, taking our agile uh, approach into account, how can you break it down into something that's that's smaller easier for people to achieve uh, as they begin to to work together and and how can you support them when uh, when 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 they feel it's all too big and and too tough so for me that's I guess a way that I I approach I approach change and and I approach it tentatively as I as I'm guessing most most coaches do with an invitation rather than a tell and an, and an invitation to to try something to see if we can we can impact a change to this system and and to lift people out of local optimization, which uh, we often fall back into, even us agile folks, because of the frustration of making a holistic change. How can we uh, be together to to just to try something to see if uh, if uh, the wheels in the cog turn more smoothly with others throughout the organisation? Yeah, great. And, and you've hit you've hit on another major topic that would kind of fall almost as its own topic as well. There, Katrina, is how you approach and how you implement change. Um, you know, almost almost absolutely shameless plug here for me as well. Is that I'm hosting a LinkedIn Live event tomorrow. Um, or actually, by the time this goes live, it'll be in the past, but it will still be available through uh, through our Spotify channel. But on exactly that, how do we implement successful change at scale? Um, speaking to a number of change leaders and change directors on that exact topic tomorrow. So, um, yeah, I, I think that might uh, I might have to send you the link on that one. But uh, bringing it back to this, Peter, obviously it was your question that you'd posed to the group. Did you want to add anything to, to kind of wrap that one up? Yeah, yeah, no, they were, they were all really good nuggets that I'm definitely going to take away. Um, that, that was really good but um yeah i think just adding to that i think uh at the forefront is just speaking the same language as well I, th- I find that in our in our little communities we i'm finding out a new word every other day i, I swear so um i think speaking the same language with you know the, the departments and areas and the people that don't necessarily um you know they're not doing this day to day and they, they haven't learned this and it's not something on their radar so that goes a long way um and then extending to that, respecting existing roles and processes. So each of these areas have, you know, there's there's core roles and there's core people doing them and they've sometimes been doing them for a while and then that's okay. But it's more so just understanding what they are and, and who does it just to, I guess, find the middle ground. So ways that not only they can help us, but we can help them with whatever it is they're doing. So um, that goes a long way in establishing a connection. And then I guess it's underpinned by um i guess transparency not forced transparency but just um available transparency so what we're doing and and how we're doing it and and, you know if they want to go down the rabbit hole of how that impacts them i guess that's what i found found very helpful to add on to to what pete and katrina have already mentioned yeah no brilliant thank you 
And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting, uh, an interesting point again from from you there around. You kind of feel like you learn a new word almost every day. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it kind of bring it back to my own experience when when I first got into technology recruitment for the first time. You know, the number of acronyms that this industry has, and particularly when you start to get kind of really specific, and then you start talking to agile leaders and you start talking about tribes and squads and things like that, which you know has happened. On a large scale during my career in recruitment, it's uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's a lot to keep up with, um, and I can imagine that not just within organisations but across organisations as well that poses challenges in terms of how you work with your partners and and you know Peter to the point you used earlier about how do you get your suppliers to be more agile? Well, you know if you if you guys are using the same language, that's going to make things like that um, that little bit easier, I, I imagine. So um, no, thank you. Um, Last but not least, Peter Lee, I'm going to pass to your question, which was, um, what are the leadership anti-patterns that impair agility? So, uh, again, do you want to provide us with some context for the, for the question you've posed here? I think when, when an organization chooses to go down this agile path and there's this transformational um, journey, and I hate the word journey, but they're, they're going down this path, it, it does sometimes feel like, you know, you need to lead by example, but it's such a shaky house of cards that if a leader takes an action that is actually an anti-pattern to agile and they may not know that it's actually an anti-pattern they just do it it actually impairs the entire underlying belief in oh yeah we are really going down this agile path so um yeah i was really interested to hear you know, katrina and peter's thoughts on what they've seen what are the anti-patterns what are the the things that leaders don't know they're doing that are actually detrimental instead of positive drivers of change yeah great um katrina do you want to field this one first thanks lewis yeah look this is a fascinating topic uh probably in no particular order uh the notion that leaders feel very bound to work to kpis now there's absolutely nothing wrong with the notion of key performance indicators because we want excellence inside of organizations. I think an anti-pattern is where there isn't uh, a sense of synchronization between what different leaders are being asked to achieve or what success looks like for different leaders. So kind of the notion of dueling KPIs, which could be local optimization over holistic optimization of an organization. And I think the second one for me is uh, an anti-pattern is uh, not understanding the notion of leaving enough slack in the system. And I was absolutely astonished because just as you were asking the question, I was Googling uh, the, the, the fabulous book uh, written by Tom DeMarco that's called Slack getting past burnout, busy work, and the myth of total efficiency. And I was astonished to see that it was first published in 2002. So leaders have had a long time to get onto this notion of we need to leave that that slack in a system for efficiency and so that we can respond to change and that you're going to see a, a more effective uh, flow of work. Uh, to to achieve that. And oh, I should point out that, of course, he's inspired by lean um, and lean manufacturing even before then. So let's just say more than 20 years, much longer than 20 years to get onto these concepts. So I think that can be a bit of an anti-pattern, 
born out of probably the best of intentions, but, uh, you know, pressure within an organisation or personal pressure uh, that not leaving uh, that, that space in there is um, is probably the second one I'd point out. Yeah, thanks, Katrina. And Pete, what are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I... Um... I cannot agree with you more on the Slack. Um, it is it is actually crazy how we over-sequence and over-allocate. Um, but yeah, I think mine's going to come from a more, seeing as I'm in the, more so the finance and, and in industry, I think mine's going to be a bit more representative of what happens, not where I'm currently working, but just in general. Um, so I think, yeah, when, when orgs and leaders go down this path and, you know, we set up teams and, and maybe even agile release trains, etc. We're not. We're, the leaders are still dictating what they work on, as in what the teams work on. Just from a, let's just call it a bare responsibility piece, but a, a regulation piece, etc. So it, it becomes very hard and very contentious on actually giving teams autonomy to to decide what what to do in their backlog, depending on, uh, you know, what's of value to our customers and and and. That is really troublesome for me. I, I think that's a huge anti-pattern because without the autonomy, I think when leaders decide what teams work on the sequence of work and to the extent of micromanaging to KPIs, similar to what Katrina said, um, we lose the most important aspects of um, you know agile team. So the voice, the customer, the flexibility, um, and then also the co- collaboration aspect. I think we lose that a lot with with that element as well. And it might be a nature of the industry, but I, I don't. I'm not saying it, it is i think it's it's definitely a few things at work but um with that as well i think with teams a practical example they you know they develop something in six days but then wait for a sign off from the leader which takes four days for an email response um i think that is very it, it's not the greatest cycle time you know 40 percent of your end-to-end so um the opportunity cost alone of that 40 percent over multiple pieces of work that that could be a, a, a new solution in itself, right? So um, I think that's huge and, and it becomes very material um, within large-scale orgs. Um, apart from that as well, apart from the metrics and the work, I think it's just a, the command and control element is just a very uninspiring way of leading people. It makes people feel very small. Um, when people don't own their domains, they have no sense of responsibility, they aren't afforded the opportunity to contribute. I'm not entirely sure why they would be motivated to build great products in the first place. Um, so I think from a, a, a personal perspective and a, a place that you'd like to work and a, a cultural perspective, it's really, really hard from that element as well. Um, and then I think the the second piece I just want to touch on is, and I don't see it often enough, it's just the continuous improvement lens. I, I don't think we, I think with an anti-pattern is leaders not affording enough time to actually work on t- continuous improvement. So going back to the slack in the system for other things, I think we're asking teams to get better and better within each sprint or within each quarter or, or year, but then we don't give them the the capacity or the allowance to actually work on themselves and work on improvements in the system. So um, I don't really know what we're doing there in terms of it's just a dead, deadly circle. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's a bit frustrating as well. So I think those two are the biggest. And I think the continuous improvement pieces I find so important. Like we don't do it enough. And sometimes companies say, you know, we, we're doing two hackathons a year and I, I just look at that and I'm like, I, I just, yeah. Um, if it's not built into the system, it's not built into the way of working, I don't really know what, you know, two hackathons a year is going to really do. So um, I find that 
very, very important. And I definitely think that's an anti-pattern that, you know, definitely leaders, um, or that impairs agility holistically. So yeah, that's me. Thank you. And for anybody listening to this who won't be able to see what I can see, uh, I think the hackathon comment really tickled Peter Lee there because there was a genuine real laugh there. Was there anything you wanted to add to kind of round this question out, Peter? I know. I, 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 think, I think what Peter was saying is, is so true. People think that, you know, they, they do one localized change and then it translates into agility somehow. Um, it, it reminds me uh, of a conversation I had with a leader one time and you know they they had this big meeting with everyone and said um all right all of you are empowered go away and be empowered and then three six months later we had the conversation and they said to me why was no one empowered like they i told them they were empowered like six months ago but nothing actually changed and it was like yeah because it was this one localized meeting without any of the supporting structures in place to actually help you know people actually go this is not a trick it's actually true that we really want to empower people. Um, I, I think it, it's going back to some of the other conversations before, you know, I think there's this real tendency to be fearful of, of um, taking on the challenge of becoming more agile. And part of that is, you know, you as a leader, you need to be inwardly sound enough to actually take some risks. And I think uh, one of the big challenges I often see is leaders only want goals around the things they have absolute control over. And the minute you do that, then there is no thinking about the bigger picture. There's no thinking about continuous improvement because I can't guarantee continuous improvement, but I can guarantee delivery of, of something. Uh, and often what I then see is people are so focused on, well, let's fix the framework without then going, well, what's that kind of leadership practices? What's all the kind of uh, things that we're doing in that space to to move forward? So I've personally, I've not actually seen too many organizations that have a leadership program that's about, hey, we need to teach people the, to be aligned around the leadership practices that will make us more agile. And that is a, a, a really big anti-pattern. And I think it's born out of fear that it's actually a really hard job. Um, not only that, it usually sits in the HR, you know, people success space. So is that really a delivery person's responsibility? But again, it's a glass ceiling that happens. So I think that's kind of one of the biggest anti-patterns. Uh, I, I would say, you know, one of the things I normally would encourage with that is if we can encourage people to set goals at their level of influence, not control, that actually starts to help kind of change some of that. And I know Toyota did that with engineering managers. They actually said, you know, your performance is based on how good are all the other engineering managers as opposed to you as an individual. So that's a, a really kind of key thing. Um, and then I guess the other thing with that is sometimes there's a perception and I think it's more around wanting to feel that you're you're a good performer, etc. that the problem is always someone else. And rather than kind of taking ownership and saying, hey, what can I do to make this system better? That's um, the tendency for us as humans is not to want to kind of take blame, I guess. So, uh, you know, sometimes walking in, there'll be a comment um, if I'm joining a new organization that, oh, it's actually that team, the department over there, it's all their problem, go and fix them, as opposed to, <laughs> you know, we're part of this system 
what, what do we have play in this bigger picture, which is actually a problem. So being able to try to take some accountability of anything really, that then actually starts to move us forward. Yeah, great. Thanks, Peter. Um, and we obviously kind of tiered the questions during this conversation to essentially start with, what do we personally do? What do we control as leaders? We then went on to obviously talking about the challenges of alignment within the organization, followed by the challenges of kind of things that maybe impair what we're trying to achieve in a business. Um, we've kind of run through that. I guess, is there anything anybody is keen to add, you know, as, as an overall take on what we've discussed here today? I think I'd be happy to add the, given that the three of us are all leaders, uh, the three panellists today, I think I'd be happy to add uh, a point that hasn't come up, which is the importance of modelling and uh, for others in the organisation to really see what an agile leader looks like. And sometimes your response or behaviour or paradigm is different to other leaders. You know, the way you may invite others in a meeting to hear their voices much more, some of the routines you might introduce for decision-making inside a, inside a meeting or the way you might choose to be a neutral facilitator in a large group setting over being the sort of leader that others might have been used to, which is a leader that comes in with a strong opinion. And uh, I think it's worth contributing that to the, to the discussion today about about the role that uh, introducing difference and, and uh, modelling that type of agile leadership can play in influencing change too. Did either of you want to add anything to that? I think Katrina finished off very well. No, perfect. Well, look, in that case, um, before we end here today, guys, just want to say a really quick thank you again to all three of you for sharing your thoughts in today's discussion. So once again, for those listening, um, I'd like to thank Katrina Colt from Coles Group. I'd like to thank Peter Adolphus from Bank of Queensland. I'd like to thank Peter Lee from Sightminder and Burst.io as well. Uh, if you are hiring for new project roles or looking for a new role, please feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast on a different topic, please drop me a message too. My name is Lewis Burke, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Thanks again to all our guests. Thank you for listening and we hope that you can join us next time. Thank you.